to say goodbye. So here we are this morning, and we are, um, we're that day. I just like to be honest, right? It was great to have him here, and it was good um, um, to have our space back. So we are looking at Advent. We're looking at different texts, um, and today um, we're looking at another text in Isaiah. I know John preached last week and um, on Isaiah, and this week I'm looking at, or we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. And so I invite you to hear these words from the book of Isaiah. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. And gently lead the mother sheep. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you in this Advent season giving you praise for the ways in which we have seen you at work. We thank you, Lord, for having come through a season of thanksgiving, a time for us to remember the ways in which we have seen you in our lives. The ways in which we have seen you be Emmanuel, God with us. And so we pray, God, that you would continue to open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the ways that we see you. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, if you are at all familiar with or like 
uh, Handel's uh, oratorio Messiah, um, then it is kind of hard to hear these words, um, to hear Isaiah, and not almost want to begin to sing them, right? I mean, the, the comforty, you know, you remember that, right? I mean, whenever you hear that, it's hard. I, don't worry, I'm not going to keep going. It's hard to not want to kind of join in with this particular scripture passage. Probably, if it weren't for Handel's Messiah, many of us might not even be that familiar with it. And yet, no matter how familiar we may be with this particular passage, it doesn't mean that we always get exactly what's happening here. I mean, why is it that the people of God are needing to be comforted? And, and what does it mean? What is this highway that God is making in the wilderness? And, and what does it mean that we are grass that withers? And, and who is talking? And, and, and when are they talking? And there's lots of details that are very confusing about this particular passage. And so before we dive into it too much, I thought we would just kind of start from the beginning. And for one, it's important to know that more than likely the context of this particular passage are that the people of God are in exile. They are far away from their homes. They are not doing well, as you can imagine, if you're forced away from your home, like, like a prisoner, um, that you're vulnerable, you're a second-class citizen, um, and you're wondering, of course, especially the people of God here would have been wondering, where is God? And so there they are, and they're in exile for many, many years, and all of a sudden then... This passage tells us that their time of punishment is finally coming to an end. That they may be able to go home very soon. And that, of course, would be good news indeed if you were an exile. And then we're told that a voice cries out, right? That a voice kind of comes out of nowhere, it seems. Now, probably this is not the voice of Isaiah. Rather, this is a voice from someone in the heavens. Let's just say an angelic messenger. And the angelic messenger tells or says that there's going to be a highway, that the highway is going to be built by God, and it's going to start in the wilderness, in the deepest, darkest, most isolated of places, that a road is going to be built there, and that it is going to be a flat road. Because the, vil the valleys are going to be raised up, and the mountains are going to be made low. It's going to be a flat road. This is a road with no potholes, right? This is, this is not Zionsville Road. This is going to be a nice, clear, flat, easy, no problem road. And the reason why the road is built, unlike oftentimes today, more than likely the reason why the road would be built, as it was oftentimes the case then, was not to try to get you from A to B more quickly, what was for a procession, for a parade. They would build roads in order so that a royalty or a victorious commander could begin to ride down that road and everybody could stand around and worship him or worship her, whomever it is that's coming down that particular road. And so then, not only is this road supposed to be a sign of the fact that this is the way they get from exile to their home again, but it's also a sign that in the midst of that, the Lord himself is going to be riding down this road and everyone is going to be able to celebrate and give praise to him. 
Now that's all fairly clear, but then things start to get a little bit confusing. And I thought about kind of showing you all this, but I'm just going to kind of say it. Uh, In Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there aren't quotation marks. And so it is oftentimes in situations like this difficult to know who exactly is speaking. Is it Isaiah or is it some messenger from heaven? Uh, And so let me just tell you what I think. Which is at this point then, the angelic messenger says to Isaiah, Okay, Isaiah, now is the time. Cry out. In other words, now is the time, Isaiah, for you to tell all the people who are in exile everything that I have just told you. This is the time for you to tell them what's going to happen. To which Isaiah then responds, What shall I cry. In other words, I don't know if you've looked around here or not, Mr. Angelic Messenger, but we are in a mess. We are in exile. We are not in power. We are not in control. We are hungry. Things are not going our way. And if you haven't noticed, Mr. Angelic Messenger, we are grass. And grass withers and flowers fade. In other words, we are remarkably vulnerable. There is not much to us. And not only that, as you know, we are pretty fickle. We are a people who are full of faith one moment and we are completely without faith the next. And so what you're telling me, Mr. Angelic Messenger, is that you want me to tell these people, all of these people who have known nothing but hopelessness for the last many, many years, you want me to try to whisper into them that that things are going to change. Do you understand, Mr. Angelic Messenger, exactly what it is you are asking me to say to them? To which the messenger then responds, and I love this response. He says, yes, because you notice the redundancy. Yes, you're right. The grass will wither, and the flowers will fade. You're absolutely right. You are vulnerable. He doesn't sit there and tell them, no, everything's great. What are you talking about? Don't you love that shanty you're living in? It's perfect. Don't you love being hungry? Don't you love being sick? Don't you love being without hope? What do you know? This is perfect. No, he says, you are right. The grass will wither. The flowers will fade. But, he says to Isaiah, the thing you may have forgotten is that the word of God stands forever. And what that means is not just words on a page, but what it means is that God is still active. God is still alive. And what you seem to have forgotten, Isaiah, is that no matter what this looks like around here, that this is exactly where God likes to work. That in the midst of the wilderness and of the darkest of places, this is actually where God likes to be and where God is active, whether you can see it or not. So get you up on the high mountain, Isaiah, and you tell the people exactly what I have told you, that God is coming. And he will come with strength and he will come with might, but he will also come with comfort, like a shepherd carrying a sheep in his arms.
Now, before I talk any more about this particular passage, I want to go off on just a wee bit of a tangent. I promise you, at some point, we'll come back to this. But, but I've been thinking about this, and so I want to say a couple things. Uh, what, what I want to talk about is, is on um, what we call the war on Christmas. Now, I realize that when I say the war on Christmas, that more than likely you have some things that all of a sudden come up in your mind, right? You might think that I'm about to uh, start talking about um, red cups from Starbucks or, or that I'm going to start talking about, you know, the legalities or illegalities of putting up a nativity scene in town square or, or, or perhaps um, whether or not retailers say happy holidays or, or merry Christmas. I, I'm not talking about that war on Christmas. Oh, that war on Christmas pales in comparison to the war on Christmas that that I am talking about. Now, this may very well be a war that you all may not really be all that familiar with, and you may have suffered some of the effects, but you may not even realize that usually this is a war that goes on within the, the building of a church, oftentimes within a closed-door meetings. It's usually something that's talked about between a pastor and the worship director, or, or between the worship director and a choir director, or between the choir director and the choir, or between the pastor and a particularly opinionated parishioner. Things are frequently said that shouldn't be said. Tears are sometimes shed even. Sometimes people leave churches. Even from time to time, people could be fired because of this particular battle. And the battle to which I speak when it comes to Christmas is the battle between Christmas and Advent. Now, I told you that most of you are completely unfamiliar with this major battle. The battle between Christmas and Advent, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, though not completely so, to say that this is a kind of a frequent thing that happens within churches. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't know anything about Advent. I'd never heard of Advent. When I was growing up, once December 1 came, or as soon as Thanksgiving was over, then for the whole month of December, it was all Christmas all the time. We were always singing Christmas carols. I mean, it was, it was perfect. I loved it, right? And it was only when I was at seminary and began hanging out with weird Presbyterians that I even had ever heard of Advent. And even then, I just thought it was some kind of dress rehearsal for the big day, by and large. It was only in my second year at seminary when I was interning at a church in New Jersey when, when, when I was sitting there and the associate pastor was clearly upset. She was my boss. And I said, why are you so upset? And she said, well, it's just this worship director. He never plays any Christmas carols until Christmas Eve. He only will do Advent songs. And, and, and then even just uh, not long ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. He's no longer a pastor. He, he, he decided to do something else. But he said, you know what? I really miss being a pastor during Advent. And I said, oh, okay, why? He said, because I just love Advent. And he said, but you know what? Uh, I don't think the people at my church miss me being there. And I said, well, why? He said, well, because I was always just talking about Advent. And I, I didn't talk very much about Christmas until Christmas Eve. And I said, okay. And even just this very week as a worship team, we were sitting there and we were, we were asking the question, well, what did we focus on as a church? Do we focus on Advent or do we focus on Christmas? And do people even care? People always care. And, and so the, the, the question then is, of course, is, well, well what do we do, right? And I, I, I've overspoken a little bit. The reality is it really isn't much of a battle when it comes between Christmas and Advent. 
It's kind of like if the Indiana Pacers had decided to come here on a Thursday night when a group of us play from 8 to 10 at night, if anyone wants to do that. And, and it would be like as if they were coming to play us, right? And other than me and maybe one other guy, you know, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? It's a joke, yeah. We would get crushed. And just like that, Christmas crushes Advent. I mean, Christmas has everything going for it, right? It has a cute little baby. It has animals. It has shepherds. It's got amazing songs, right? I mean, joy to the world, silent night. I mean, I could go on and on, right? You guys know all the great Christmas songs, right? It's got Christmas lights. It has its own tree. You know, look how beautiful that tree is. It's got a big star. It's got presents. You can't, you can't beat presents. It's got full of joy and and excitement. I mean, everyone loves Christmas. Advent, Advent's got five little candles. One song, really, that anybody knows about, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. All other Advent songs are weird. And it has scripture passages that talk either about what's coming in the future and how, you know, how difficult it's going to be, or passages like today that talk about the wilderness and talk about you know, withering grass and, and fading flowers. There's just really not much of a competition when it comes to Advent versus Christmas for most of us. And so the question then is, why battle it at all? Why not just jump right into Christmas? Why not just do Christmas as some have done? All Christmas carols, all shepherds, all baby Jesus, all month long. Well, it's a good question. And I would suggest a part of the reason why we don't want to too quickly jump to Christmas is because if we do, if we too quickly jump to the joy and the excitement of Christmas, then we overlook and forget the realities, the difficult realities out of which Christmas comes. We quickly forget the fact that the Roman people were ruling over the Israelites, that they had no sense of hope. The Jewish people thought that they were without hope by and large. That We completely forget the difficult journey that Joseph and Mary had to go through in order to get to Bethlehem. We completely forget when we overlook Advent, when we decide to just move past it, we forget about the fact that the first glimpses of the Messiah came not when people were in power, but when they were in exile, when they were without hope. When we skip over Advent and get straight to the joy of Christmas Day, then we completely overlook the fact that God loves to work in difficult situations. And when we do that, then we too easily forget when we are in difficult situations that that's actually exactly when God wants to be birthed in whatever struggle we may be in. You see, when we forget Advent, what happens, and this is what's continuing to happen, it seems to me, is that Christmas becomes an escape from reality. When truth be told, Christmas, God, is something that comes to us in the midst of our reality. Whether we are on top of the world or whether the weight of the world is on top of us. Advent is the space that nobody else will give you in this society 
to say, where are you? Be honest about the struggles. Be honest about where you are and know this, no matter what is happening, that that is the very place in which God continues to be at work. And that is an important word, especially to us and in this time in which we live. You see, we have two choices. We have three choices when it comes to difficult times. We can either give up in desperation and cynicism and say, forget it, there's nothing we can do. Or we can decide to escape and act like we're in some final scene from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Or we can be a people who say, this is rough, and yet we are not giving up. This is a difficult time, it seems to me, in the life of our world and our community and this church. Refugees, by the thousands and thousands, are fleeing war. Mass shootings are happening in Paris and Colorado and California. Indianapolis this year, overrun by shootings and murder, senseless murder. And even in our church board, no no point since I have been here have I seen more um, names and and people wrestling with things up on our prayer board. We have people wrestling with all sorts of cancer. We've got a two-year-old battling lymphoma. Just this week in my office, there was a woman who was weeping because her husband, of whom she had been married to for many years, no longer remembered her anymore because of his dementia. Just three days ago, I saw a picture for the first time of of one of Megan's best friends who was just here this summer visiting, and and now the picture has a scarf on her head as as the toll of chemotherapy begins to take its effect. And in those moments, as you almost become overrun with the difficulty, with the news of what we hear, personal or across the world, it is easy, is it not, for us, if we're honest, to echo the words of Isaiah and say, okay, God, what shall I cry? What in the world am I supposed to do in the midst of this? Where is the hope? But the angelic messenger, the advent messenger comes and says, you're right, I'm not going to downplay it. This is a messed up world. Things are difficult. None of this is easy. I don't have answers, every answer for you. This is a struggle. But I want you to know in the midst of that, God is here. And an advent people will remember That God had been with his people when they were in exile. That God was with his people with Joseph and Mary. And just as God has been with his people then, that God will continue to be with his people now. And the reason why Advent is important is not because of candles or weird songs or because we don't like Christmas songs. They're fine. It's because of the fact that God needs Advent people. To do his work. God does not need cynical people or people who have given up hope. God needs people who are willing to say, this is the real world, but we are not giving up because we know God is at work. 
God needs an Adventist kind of people who say, yes, you know what? The issue with refugees, this is remarkably complicated. We don't know exactly what to do. This is horrible. There are lots of complications. It would be easy for us to just simply either give up and say there's nothing that we can do or to just turn off the television and put on some Christmas songs. But we know that no matter whether or not we can completely solve this, that God is calling us to do something. And we will not give up hope. And we will not give up our belief that God can work in any situations. And we are committed to continually being a people who keep singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. A people of Advent are a people who come alongside those who are wrestling with cancer. And who are not afraid to cry with them with the reality of how dark it is. Who are not afraid to mourn with them. Who are not afraid to ask questions with them. And yet who refuse to give up hope. They're the people who will continue to go visit. To continue to bring meals. To continue to take them to the hospital. Who continue to pray. Who continue to support and challenge. They are a people who will keep singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel no matter the situation. A people of Advent are not a people who, re- who reject or who say there is no evil, but they are a people who say we will not hide from that evil. A people of Advent are a people who realize we are human, we can only do a little bit, but we believe that God can do amazing things through all of our little bits. An Advent people are a people who are not afraid to keep moving forward because they know that God has worked for them in the past. A people who are only a Christmas people only focus on the joyful time. But an Advent people say, even in the midst of darkness, we know that joy can come. See, my hope and my prayer, people of ZPC, is that we can be an Advent people. A people who, by the way we are living our lives... People will be able to hear the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Have you heard those words and really heard them? O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appear. Rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely air, Exile here until the Son of God appear and rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And so, as we think about the refugees, I want us to sing the song again. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel 
shall come to thee, O Israel. As we think about people with cancer, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen.